We're on a, a series called Pursue. And uh, when you came in the doors, I think we still have available a, a journal book you can use for the sermon with definitions of pursue. It means to basically seek after something and chase after something. Pursue has a strong definition in it. It's not a casual word. It's not a lackadaisical word. It's, it's something that involves intensity. Jesus said it this way, from John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And of course, in those days, if you're going to take a city, it took a tremendous effort to bring down the walls of those cities. Jesus was saying that people are pressing into the kingdom of God, and uh, we need to press into the kingdom of God. We need to pursue. And so we are, in this series, we're talking about our mission statement. Our mission statement says that we pursue God, we pursue people, we pursue God's purpose, and we pursue God's power. It's uh, not that we just pursue power for power's sake or for supernatural manifestation's sake, but we pursue God's power so we can fulfill the purpose of God. Well, we need miraculous money, do we not? We need miraculous protection, do we not? We need miraculous strength and miraculous wisdom and signs and wonders and miracles and God just intervening on our behalf to fulfill what God has called us to do. And so we are on those pursuits. In this particular part of this series, we've talked about pursuing God. We've talked about pursuing God in prayer. Pastor Jan Stahl did an incredible job on laying out the foundation of just being a person, a Christian, a believer in your prayer life. We talked about fasting, that wonderful word called fasting. When we, it wasn't that we're commanded to fast. It's assumed that we will fast. It's a part of what we do as New Testament believers. Last week, we talked about pursuing God through worship. Today, I want to I talk about pursuing God by, and I'm going to add a word to this particular title, about studying the Bible. And the reason I'm going to be using the word study the Bible, because I don't want, and I don't think God just wants us to read the Bible. He wants us to study it. He wants us to reflect deeply upon it because we got to live it out in our life. And to do that, we have to understand that. Amen. It's not a light thing. But scripture today is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and 19. I've chosen Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. And he says, for, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord, Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, I'm just going to speak as a leader. This verse convicts the daylights out of me because one thing I have picked up from the Apostle Paul's prayer life is that he spent a lot of time praying for his churches and praying for his sons and daughters in the faith. Church history uh, talks about the, the martyrdom of a, of a great early church bishop by the name of Polycarp. Some believe that he could have been the disciple of, uh, or had some type of connection with the Apostle John. And uh, he was the lead pastor of Smyrna, and, and they arrested him in a cottage in the, in the mountains somewhere. And, and of course, being a gracious man of God and a follower of Jesus, he asked his house host to basically feed and provide lunch for his, for his captors. And... Uh, and uh, for those taking them away to get martyred. So he fed them. And he says, before you take me, can I pray? And according to the tradition of church history, he bowed his head and he prayed for two hours. 
But when he prayed for two hours, he was praying for, you know, this person and that person and this person and that person. I, I think he was carrying on a tradition of the early church. They really did spend a lot of time not having shotgun prayer sessions, you know, bless the church, help the poor in the church, help the marriages in the church, help the teens in the church, help the money in the church, you know, but, but really specifically remembering people and praying. So I just, that's a personal little insight. I'm convicted. Okay, you know that as your fellow brother in Christ. And he goes on to say here, as soon as I get the next slide going here, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Going on, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, Paul has a very specific apostolic prayer here, and he's praying for a few things for the Ephesian church. If he's praying that for the Ephesians church, he's praying it for the rest of the church. If he's praying for the rest of the church is something that we need to get a hold of today in our walk in life and, and, and being the church of the 21st century. You believe that? Whatever this prayer is, it's not for the Ephesians. It's for me, it's for you. The first is this, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, that, that, that prayer is that we would experience what it is to know God and to experience God. And not only to know God and to experience God, but also to be able to walk in a way or live in a way that God wants us to live. Wisdom has with it in Scripture the understanding of not just the accumulation of information, but the application of truth in the way we live out our life. And Paul is praying that you will have an encounter with God and that you will live out the way he wants you to live. God would reveal that to you. Now, this happens when our eyes, he says, are enlightened. So let's talk about this, or that we come to a place of understanding. So let's talk about coming to a place of understanding. We understand God through a lot of things, but the, the main thing that we understand God through is through the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit, who as believers in Christ we possess, is going to open our eyes or open our understanding to what God has revealed in His Word. This is what it is to have the spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of him. He's revealed Jesus to us in his word. Now, people say, well, I find God in nature. Nature has a level of revelation. In theology, it's called the cosmological and the teleological, you know, evidence of the existence of God. We have, we have a painting because we have a what? Painter. That's the answer. Okay, painter. We have not just a, a paint, painting, but we have a painting with design and purpose and, and just the intricacies of, of, of my body and your body and the cycles of nature and gravity and the laws of, of the universe, you know, tell us that we're not an accident, that there is design and there's intention and there's purpose. And that brings me to a general understanding there's a creator, but it doesn't really bring me to revelation specifically of who God is. Some people say, well, conscience, conscience will reveal God. Well, the problem is I can change my conscience. Conscience can, it has good, some good things. We'll answer for that, but conscience can also be altered. You know, I can look in the mirror and, and I can change what I see or I could break the mirror. Sometimes we break the mirror, okay? And conscience goes away and we just don't feel good. But I mean, we don't, we don't feel anything anymore. The Bible calls it a seared conscience. So God, the way he's going to reveal himself to us is he's going to reveal himself to us 
through the word that he has written to us, through the Holy Spirit is going to give us understanding of that word. Now, this knowledge, Paul says, is going to bring you and I hope. How many of you would agree with me that God has a plan for you? He has a plan for your future. He has a plan the way he wants to use you. He has a plan for you in this life, and he has a plan for you in eternity. I don't know where you're at today. It doesn't take a word of knowledge or some prophetic insight that some of you came into church today dragging and hurting, okay? Every Sunday, it's a, we could give a word every Sunday, dragging and hurting, stand up. There's somebody dragging and hurting here today. As a pastor, my day is always full of contradictions. Someone comes in, pastor, I got miraculously healed. Next appointment, pastor, they just diagnosed me with cancer. Pastor, we just got a brand new house. <laughs> Great, you have prayers answered. Pastor, we just got evicted. Okay, just it's, well, why, does God just love one person better than the other? No, people go through seasons. Every dog has his day, you know. Every, everybody's going to go through some tough times. I was, I was telling somebody this morning that, you know, we don't have to practice suffering. It'll come. Just be happy, because suffering will come one way or another. We have our ways that God's works in and through us. But he has a plan for our life, and it's revealed to us in his word. And he goes on to say that we would also, in that plan, that we would understand the, the riches and, and of his glorious inheritance, that, that God has some great big things for you. We are rich people. You have an inheritance. You have things that God wants to reveal to you. You got things that God wants to do for you. You got things that God wants to do in you. You got things that God wants to do with you. We got things that God wants to just do for you. He wants to do things to bless your socks off. Okay, so God has the riches of his inheritance. And, and, and you know, there's the big thing, how much before heaven, how much after heaven, but it's both. He's going to bring a blessing on your life. Life is not always going to be that just cozy and, and wonderful, but he's a, he's, a, he's a good, good father. He gives us richly all things to enjoy, but he, his, his biggest thing is his purpose in your life. He's blessing Kevin and Tiffany with a great purpose to be his ambassadors, to go to a place to declare the kingdom of God. What an incredible, true riches of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus described that. He had a plan. He had a spiritual inheritance for them. He has a spiritual inheritance for you. You heard the prophetic word today, the young generation. God has an inheritance for you. He has something for you to possess. My wife and I, throughout our 20s, we knew that God had something for us, but we couldn't define it. We just knew he had something for us, and we, we based our 20s on making some radical decisions to position ourselves for that thing he had for us. You, gotta, you have to believe that. And so Paul's prayer is that we would understand the riches of his glorious inheritance he wants to give us, and then also that we would understand, lastly, that we would know the greatness of his power. Now, this power was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. His power is what brought the Father bringing Jesus out of the tomb. That's power. God has promises for you that he is going to fulfill by the power of his Holy Spirit in your life. And Paul's prayer is that you would know that. And so just as God raised Jesus from the dead, you and I have been raised from the dead. You and I have been brought out of the deception of sin. We've been brought out of the power of sin. We're being transformed by the Spirit of God. 
We are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're knowing what it is to experience healing and deliverance and freedom and wisdom and growth and character and influence. And, and God's doing something in my life and in your life. We are rich people. Tell the person next to you, you're rich. Come on. You're rich. Come on. You know, we can be... We can be lured by so many things in the world, lured by something the world has to offer us. But I'm going to tell you something. We are the richest people in the world. And Paul wants us to be confident in his apostolic prayer to be settled in that. And really, the, the, the book that describes our inheritance is right here. This is, this is, the, uh, this is the trust that we look into where we discover everything that God wants to give us. And let's talk about this book called the Bible. The Bible's a unique thing to study. It's, it's both human and it's divine. It's God's word. It's God's message to all people in all places at all times. But here's the, the tricky part of the Bible. It was written by a particular person to a particular people at a particular time in a particular place with particular events. And the things that were communicated at that time to those people meant something to them that may not mean that much to us, but it meant everything to them. And if we're going to understand the Bible, we got to understand what it meant to them. So we make two, two errors Two errors that we make. We think, well, you know, the Bible just is for me. It's, it's God just wants to, you know, communicate to me, and it's what this verse means to me, you know, in my life and in my circumstances. But you don't understand what, what it meant to them. You will not understand what it's supposed to mean to you. You know, we have Life Journal. encourage people to, to use that as a devotional you know, tool to, you know, read scriptures and soap is the scripture, you know, O is you, you observe, you know, what the scripture is saying and A is, is how to apply it and then P, kind of write a prayer about how you're going to apply that. And that's wonderful if you understand exactly what that scripture says. And I was here not too long ago, I had some people read to me what they were getting out of their life journal. And I became very scared because what they were getting out of the verses, those were not what the verses were saying. I mean, they were pumped. I mean, they were just, wow, okay? But unfortunately, it was a false wow, because that's not what the verse says. The other, you know, the other error we, mean, we, we make is we just kind of look at the Bible as is, is a historical book, and it has nothing for me. It's just, I'm just studying it, what it meant to other people in a particular time. So we need, of course, that doesn't change me because now God can't communicate to me. So what we need to do is we need to read the Bible, but read it to learn, learn it, and to, and to learn and understand it completely. Amen. You know, some people say, well, I read my Bible today. Well, that, okay, good, good. Well, did you get anything out of it? No, I just read my Bible. I met one preacher that I, actually one of my ex-pastors a long, long time ago said, you know, you don't remember what you ate for lunch last Tuesday, so it doesn't matter. Well, well it, doesn't, it does matter because if I don't understand what I read, I can't make it work in my life. And so it's not good enough to say I read the Bible last Tuesday, but I don't remember what I read. 
because I'm supposed to read it, understand it, and apply it in my life. So to do this is going to take two things. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you two fancy theological words. This is you're going to Bible college today for a very short, reader digest, concise course. Okay, the first thing, first fancy word I'm going to have you learn today is exegesis. Okay, everyone say exegesis. You say, well, that, no, come on, you're getting, un, you're getting uninspired now. No, no, hopefully this will lead you to get inspired, okay? Exegesis really is to discover the, the original intended purpose and meaning of that particular book and to really understand the way of the thinking of the author and what they were trying to communicate. You're trying to find what it meant to the people of that particular time, what the author was trying to communicate at that time in that context. That's called exegesis. Some people get other names for it and broaden it out, but I'm going to be very simple on this. The second word is basically a simple word called interpretation. I'm going to say interpretation. Interpretation, or a fancier word, hermeneutics, would be what does that mean now to you? So we have what it meant to them, what it was the intended purpose at the particular time, with the, trying to follow the train of thought of the author. And to understand that, then I can say, what does that mean to me in this particular life? You know, the first thing that might come to your mind is that sounds like work. And you're correct. That's a right, correct assumption. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, absolutely. He speaks to us through the Bible and helps us understand the scriptures. And, and as long as we follow good principles of interpretation, he can do that. Now, I'm going I'm to make this statement. Maybe we'll just all say it together. A text can never mean what it never meant. Never? Let's say that together. A text could never mean what it never meant. Okay, so man, this is, this is what it means. Well, no, it doesn't. It didn't mean that back then. If it didn't mean that back then, it's not going to mean that now. You can't, well, I want it to, make, I want it to say that right now. Well, well, it, it can't. You know, I'm deeply concerned sometimes when someone declares that they have kind of a deeper meaning on a, on a particular verse. Now, I, I know that I can come prejudicially to the Scripture with culture bias, with doctrinal bias, with personal bias, and it can block me from seeing the Word of God. Paul said about the Jews, there was a veil before over their eyes when they were reading the Scriptures. They couldn't see Christ. And I, my prejudice can do that. I understand that, so I want to be balanced. There's, for instance, there's a group of section of Christians who lovely people going to heaven, but they're called cessationists. They don't believe that the manifestations of Holy Spirit work is for today. It either died out with John when he went off the scene at the end of the first century. It died out when they canonized the scripture, but that's no longer for today. And so when they read the same verses I read, they read with those glasses on. That blocks their understanding. So I understand prejudice that, that could take place. You know, some people try to put the American dream glasses on and say, every, you know, it's all about the American dream in Scripture. But sometimes things that work in this culture don't quite work equally in other cultures. And so we need to understand that sometimes we bring prejudice. Now, I believe in God's blessing. I believe the, for, for God to move his church forward, we need money. And we do better when we're in one piece healthy to go fulfill the will of God. So I believe that. But to say that no pain and, you know, and, and no suffering and no consequences and no weakness, 
and uh, everyone can have what they want is really an American thing. It's not a biblical thing. I've joked with you, I'll never be Michael Phelps, okay? I can't say, I'm going to be like Michael Phelps. I'm going to swim like Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has the, the wingspan of like 10 eagles, okay? Okay, I have little vestigials coming out of my shoulders. I look like a T-Rex, okay? It's just I'm, a little dog paddle in the Olympics. Yeah, it's never going to happen. God didn't make me that way. He made me to push things and throw things, okay? But Michael Phelps was made to swim. And so here's this thing where we get in our brain, we try to inject it in the scripture. But what happens when I think I'm going to be unique and I'm going to dig something out no one else has ever seen, you know what's going to take place? I'm going to lose what was originally intended sometimes. And this is where cults land, and this is where heresies start. So we've got to be very careful. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Bible and helps us understand the scriptures as long as we follow good principles of interpretation. Now, I know this is kind of like non-inspiring, like go out, you know, and love your neighbor today. We all feel good. We're going to love our neighbor. I want to give you some tools to, to know what it is to go after the truth of the Scripture. First tool is, and we've already talked about it, is then and there, but here and now. In other words, then and there is what did it mean to the people that it was originally spoken to in their circumstance and their situation and their culture and in their language. Okay, I got to understand that. And then understanding that, I go to interpretation here and now. What does that mean to me now? What does that mean to me? And so you can go through the whole journey of Israel. You can go through the life of David. You can see the things that took place in Joseph. And you got to understand what it meant then, but how, does that, how do I understand God now? Now, the Bible's not just a, a straight-out book of propositions. You know, one, I am God. Two, no other gods besides me. Three, repent, love me, or get nuked. Okay, four, you know. Bibles and stories and allegories and history and journeys. And we got to draw out of that the truths of the Scripture. It's not all just direct language. It's poetic language. It's allegorical language. It's, it's story language. It's historical language. And it's cultural language. we got to do that. So to do that, we have to do exegesis. Okay, second is this. What did the, the original author intend? Now, I give all upcoming preachers this particular mantra that I, I try to drill in their brain. And I say this to them, find out what the original purpose, or find out the original person, what the author was trying to communicate. Find out the intent of the author. If you find out the intent of the author, you will find out the intent of the Holy Spirit. If you find out the intent of the Holy Spirit, you will release the power of the Holy Spirit through that text. I'm listening to a lot of young preachers, you know, from time to time I have, because I worked with a lot of youth pastors over the years, who read a text and preached a sermon that was not about the text that they read. And if they used the text, they didn't use the text the way the text was supposed to be used. And my grief is not like you're an heir because they were saying some good things, but they lost the power of that word. When this thing is rightly divided and rightly dissected and rightly understood the original intention, boom, the Spirit of God just begins to work. This word is powerful, like a two-edged sword, Hebrews says. Come on, it's meant to cut and slice. It's meant to go deep, but we've got to approach it in a way that what we understand the original intent of the author to release 
the Holy Spirit. The three, three is this, is what was the content of the original author? What do, you, what do you mean the content? In other words, the meaning of the words that he used. And say, well, man, that's kind of like deeper than just kind of having a devotion, reading a verse. Yeah, well, sometimes we're going to have to dig. I'll talk about that in a second. We want to pursue God. Amen? That means chase after, seek after. That means going after this thing. Okay, so we're looking at this. What was the intent? What were phrases of that time? Maybe you need to look up. Like, what were the high places? And what is a denarius? And what is a Sabbath day's journey? And there's just things that aren't about Hazeldell. They're not about Dairy Queen. They're not about Starbucks. They're not about walking along the Columbia River. Okay, you understand those things. But they're different phrases that you might need to get familiar to. Get a good Bible dictionary. Get a good commentary to understand that. To show where this can kind of get really, you know, a mishap. You know, Jesus said it would be harder for a rich man to get in the kingdom. It would be harder for an, 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 excuse me, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. And so some have taught, and maybe you understood this at one time. You know, I did at one time that, that you know, there was a gate called the needle gate, and, you know, the camels could just kind of crouch down and go through the needle gate. And the problem, that was made up by an 11th century monk, and that is no, not true. There was no gate called the needle gate in Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means Jesus said it's impossible for a rich man by himself or herself to get in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus also said, with God, all things are possible. So when you see a wealthy person in the kingdom of God, you are witnessing a major miracle. Jesus is saying the power of wealth can, can just snag us away. So when someone is wealthy in the house of God, God has done a great miracle in that person's heart. And God has changed them in a way that it's a miracle, just like someone grew a leg or you know, got miraculously healed, God did that transformation. Because they're transformed, they now are great stewards in advancing the kingdom of God. Makes it a much richer verse when we actually do right exegesis. So I don't mean to step on anybody's sacred cows, but I probably did. That was my point. Here we go. What was the context of the verse or the chapter? In other words, what does the verse mean in the chapter you find it? Now, we love, I have, I have you version, and every day they get, pops you up a verse, and it's really kind of cool, and that's great. But what did the verse mean in the context? Because if I understand what the verse means in the context of the chapter, it'll help me understand what the writer was using that verse with to understand the meaning so I can apply it in my life. How about the chapter in the book? How about the book that I just read in context of the rest of the Bible? So that's a lot of studying. Well, it's not like you're going to get it all in one session. This is a lifetime of work. Not a little just, I read my verse and I fell asleep on my Bible. I read the Bible today. What'd you get? What was it about? God? (laughs) What about God? Jesus? What about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God and Jesus doing their thing? What What did it do to you? Bless me. <laughs> and, and what else? Oh, it's just good. It's just good to read it. People sometimes tell me, like, Bob, your sermon. Man, when you, you said this, like, oh, man, the light's turned on. And I'm thinking, I never said that. <laughs> I never said that. Anyway, what were you listening to? 
What does the text plainly mean? No, no, there's no try to bring uniqueness to it. Just most of the scriptures are very, very clear in what they're saying. It just takes some common sense, some basic exegesis, some honest, I got to make sure what it meant to them. And it's pretty self-evident. You don't need to dig it out. The self-evident stuff's hard enough. I remember Ronald Reagan talking about the United States of America. He says the problems in America, I mean, the answers to America's problems are, are simple. They're just not easy. The Bible's simple. It's just not easy. They're not easy commands. They're not easy ways. They are simple, though. You've got to respect the work of others. You know, we think somehow we're unique, and man, I've discovered stuff no one knows until I read a commentary. Someone who lived 200 years ago, I said, he knew it before me. <laughs> you got to respect the body of Christ. Why it's good for us to sharpen each other and talk to each other and stretch each other on our thinking. We need the church. We need a church. I'm not a one-man demon-kicking machine. And this is why I like to read dead guys. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to read dead guys. Just read dead guys. Go to their grave and read their, you know, their tomb and their tombstone. No, no. no. Read, read those who have gone before us. Let's honor the work of what's been handed to us. There's a lot, of, a lot of great people who have defended the very things that you hold dear to your heart. We have much to learn from them. Now, learning to understand the Bible requires humility. Absolute humility. James says it this way, Therefore, put away... All filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, repent before God. I'm going to live your way. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Come on, the humility that I have things to learn. The humility that I may have prejudices. The humility that I may possess wrong thinking. The humility that, that I may not be living in compliance to some area of the will of God. The humility, it says, maybe I've been affected by culture and I need my mind renewed. And so I want to say this. Really studying the Bible will involve some emotional pain. When I talk to teachers when I'm trying to prepare people to teach, they got to suffer over doctrine a little bit. They got to they gotta reflect deeply and wrestle within themselves over things. They're really a sign of a teacher. To really come to truth and confronting yourself and letting the Bible confront you, it's going to be emotional. And what's wrong? Ah, study the Bible today. I thought it would be blessed. Yeah, I'm just wrestling with this thing. Ow! Kind of think. Well, that should be good. There should be some pain. We got some idols that need to come down. We got some false concepts that need to come down. We got some attitudes that need to change. We got some waking up to do in some areas and it's just not all woo some of it is you're gonna hurt a little bit you know in physical fitness you really don't have a workout unless you're sore the next day oh man my quads man my quads well we should you know how you doing oh my soul <laughs> soul oh. ooh a lot of holy ghost lactic acid Come on, learning and understanding the Bible is work. Proverbs 2 says this, and of course it's luring a man, young man away from prostitution and crime and everything else and things that just could be quick to a life of discipline and holiness. 
And he says this, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, commentators can go two ways on this. You're looking for lost money, lost coins, or you're mining. I'll take both. I chose mining. But how many people have ever lost your wallet? I lost my wallet, my, my, my smartphone, which isn't very smart because I couldn't find it again. <laughs> and my car keys all in an hour here two weeks ago. Spent, and I, wanted, I didn't say, oh, Sue, lost my wallet, lost my car keys, my phone. Let's go to a matinee. Let's go watch a movie. The next nine hours, Sue and I tore our land apart, our house apart. We retracked steps, walking down the road, just looking. I never found it. Next day, someone knocked on the door, found my wallet on the side of the road. And, you know, but I was thankful about that. I never found it, my, my phone again. But it took an incredible amount of emotion and effort to go find that lost thing and to restore that lost thing. Well, that's the attitude that we need to go after the Bible with. Now, mining, if they're talking about mining for silver here, Mining in, in those particular days was a lot of work. It, they, they chose superficial strata that they could dig deep into. The shafts went down usually about 180 to 200 feet. You know, they would dig rocks out of that strata. Then they would haul that rock out with buckets up, and then they would shatter and smash with thousands of slaves that worked around the clock. This was an intense effort to get silver out of rock. Now, if you take those images, and that's the way I'm supposed to go after wisdom and revelation and understanding of the will of God and to know God, then this is not a casual effort with the Bible. I'm going to have to go after it. Now, you may not be able to go after it every day, but just doing casual reading alone won't help. We're going to have to have seasons where we dig and read and turn off the TV set and meditate and reflect. Maybe get a Bible dictionary to understand certain things. Do exegesis. Really reflect, what does this mean to me? Transformation. Bring it to a close. Worship team, come on up here, please. Transformation takes place when we understand and obey the Bible. You know, one of the famous verses in the book of James is this one. Be doers of the word not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I believe obedience to the Bible will be reflected in the way that you and I relate to one another. It's not good enough that I read it. It's not good enough that I studied it. It's not good enough that I understood it. I have to obey it. And to obey it, I have to fulfill what Jesus said was the second great commandment. Yeah, I can love God with all my heart. But the second commandment is just like it, Jesus said. i got to love you just as much as I love myself. First John, the whole epistle of 1 John says it's absolutely the proof and the assurance that I have eternal life. The way by which I relate to you walking alongside of you, rejoicing with you, suffering with you, carrying your burdens, being interested in you, sacrificing for you. 
I live that. I have to. When James is saying, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, in the context of this particular verse, he is telling people that true, pure religion is taking care of widows and taking care of orphans. And he's about to address them on the sin of partiality, of disdaining one person and honoring another above another. In the context, he says, I want you to be doers of the word. The Bible is a book about worship, but it's also a book about community. The cross is both vertical, a relationship with God, and horizontal, a relationship with one another. We can't just dig out and study and go mining, which we absolutely need to do, that then we got to go to work on it to experience transformation. So Paul said, I pray for you. That the Father who has created us all will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that you might know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saint, and the power by which he raised up Jesus from the dead. Come on, to do that, we got to go digging, amen? And to do that, we got to become transformed by doing. Let's stand to our feet.